energy is liberated matter. Matter is energy waiting to happen. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts, here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Oh, baby. Bill Bryson. Bill Bryson coming to you live, to you live from, from West Sussex. Nice. Matt, you're in literally in my garden. I know. I'm How in do your you feel garden. about it? You're surrounded by the beautiful nature of the South Downs. What's really odd is when people first meet me, the first thing they ever say is, What are you doing in my garden? <laughs> We do beg so, your pardon. Yes, yeah, so, I am I in so. your garden. Yeah, yeah no, um, so, so yes, yeah. I am. In, I am actually in your garden. You're literally. in your natural habitat, aren't you? Yes. Staring through strangers' windows. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah it's lovely to have you here. You I, mean, thought, I, mean, I mean, we normally do this in my studio, don't we? But you thought you'd come down and say hello to me because it's yeah. a Sunday. It's a beautiful so, sunny day. So we're not in London. We're from. We're sort of some more Brighton, isn't it? Yeah, more Brighton. Yeah, exactly. Always right, don't don't give any Cassocks, don't give anyone my street name, yeah, because you know, yeah, I, I will be hounded. <laughs> yeah, that's true. This, pod, this podcast, well, I can already, come, uh, I can already see some um, groupies outside already. Oh God, them forming. again, the bloody paps. Jamie, what are we doing today? What are we doing? Today's today? really exciting because um, you know mm-hmm. our episode on dark matter. Oh, I mean, it was very popular, wasn't it, Matt? Mm, it was we a had dark matter. We had lots of comments about that, but today we thought we'd uh, talk about the other side of dark matter, which is dark energy. Or, or is it the or other? Is it's it? so weird, isn't it, that dark matter and dark energy. What's really funny is I noticed a lot of people really struggle to separate those two concepts out. And, yeah. and really, they, they don't really have much to do with one another. So Matt, if you Google the simplistic term of dark energy, what you'll get a lot of the internet saying is it's the anti-gravity. What's your stance on that? Uh, I think that's fair enough, yeah. actually. Fair comment? I, I think it is fair comment. So, yeah, that there is something, something very bizarre that it, the, the analogy is, imagine if you were standing on a tennis court and you threw a tennis ball up, mm. and instead of sort of it doing that parablo- parabolic arc or just going up, slowly slowing down and then coming back down again and speeding up back towards your hand, mm. dark energy seems to do this thing that if you threw it high enough... Uh, dark energy would take over and it would start accelerating away from you. Now, you've got right. to admit that that would be pretty weird, wouldn't it? Does this have anything to do with the accelerating universe that we live in? Well, yes. So if 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 you were on if if you were to throw your tennis ball on a significant enough scale, that is actually what would happen. So and I'm talking very significant scale. So for example, Dark energy doesn't doesn't seem to be able to overcome gravity locally. So, like for example, Andromeda Galaxy and Milky Way are obviously millions of light years apart, yes. if not billions of light years apart. Mm-hmm. But they're close enough and massive enough that the gravity is pulling them together. But if they were actually further away, then dark energy would actually be pushing them apart. Oh. Okay, mm. I see, mm-hmm. I see. But uh, but this what this was actually genuinely a surprise. Mm. So you you got to go. You, it's nineteen ninety eight that all this kicks off. It's like it's really bizarre. So we we could go right back to Einstein, really, because it's actually the big it, dog, the big dog, the big dog. Einstein when he came up with Einstein's theory of general relativity, mm-hmm. someone decided that they would go off and use those equations on the whole universe. Yes. Right? And it showed that the universe wasn't static. It was either expanding or, or, or shrinking down. So what Einstein did to fix this, because at the time, the consensus, to be fair to Einstein, he made a guess that the universe was static, that what we saw is what the universe is. Mm. So he he stuck this one term in called the the, uh, the this constant, cosmological constant, in basically a number that stopped the universe from getting bigger or smaller, hmm. right? Now, that seemed to fix it, and it was like everyone was happy. And, it, and it's, it's weird because it's a constant that doesn't affect any other aspect of the equation. So it doesn't change 
any of the things about general relativity. There's nothing other to take into account other than the fact that space is either expanding or shrinking. Yes. And this cosmological constant actually stopped it from doing either. Right. Right. And that's it. It doesn't affect any other part of the of of his theory of general relativity. So it's kind of fixed. But then people uh in the in the sort of 20s, 30s started to realize that if you looked at distant, very distant galaxies, I mean, this is, um, you know, th- we're really talking an era where we'd only just come to understand that our island galaxy, the Milky Way, mm. wasn't just the whole universe, that we didn't have just like billions of stars. It turned out that there was these little islands of billions of stars and that there were zillions of these little islands, zillions right. of galaxies, not just billions, but just just an unimaginable amount. So, you know, a hundred years ago or so, our idea of how big the universe completely changed. Mm. But they started looking at these distant galaxies and noticing that they were redder than the galaxies that were nearer, right? And that's the same in all directions, which is very odd, right? So, and the explanation to this is in the same way that you hear a siren that go, nino, 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 which mm-hmm. is this Doppler shift. Yes. Light does exactly the same thing. So as it as it goes away from you, it uh, it changes in wavelength. Mm. And it so it turns out that the stuff that's furthest away is rushing away from us faster than the stuff that's nearer. Mm. So we know over time that space is expanding. So everyone's like, oh, great, this space is expanding. But most scientists thought this is a bit like the tennis ball thing. Obviously, when I first throw the tennis ball up, it's racing away from us. But eventually the mass of the earth and the mass of the tennis ball start to slow it down and it starts to come back down to my hand like a big crunch. Hmm. So the universe is, it goes out. And then obviously people started to think, oh, you know, if you rewind it, it goes back to the Big Bang, right? So they, so they were starting to think about this idea that there's this like really dense universe at the beginning and then bang, it's exploded out. Mm. But at some point, this explosion would lose all its kinetic energy and that probably there'd be enough mass in the universe to be able to bring it all back down and the whole universe would start to collapse. And the question at the time was, is there enough mass for this to happen or is the density of the universe too fine that it's just actually it's like the tennis ball having escape velocity and just carry Mm. on going Mm. and just eventually just drift off into space and so that was the question at the time and so they started measuring these type 1a supernovas do you know what they are jamie i don't know from our from our many episodes oh god We, we, we have mentioned it a couple of times so there is this phenomena where a star, a little white dwarf. So mm. a white dwarf is a star that's many, 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 many times heavier than the sun. It's heavy. It's, he- it's, it's heavy, but it's a lot smaller. Mm. So it's a tiny, it's a very, very, very dense star. So it's it's almost like a pulsar type thing, but it's mm. not not quite as dense as a pulsar. But it's, it's like Danny DeVito. It's Yeah, it's like a dense, it's like a thick, it's like if Danny DeVito was made from lead. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's like very, yeah. very like like it's 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 hench. It's a, it's a proper hench yeah. star, right? Yeah. This white dwarf is is has a part. A, a lot of stars are born as binary pairs, so a lot of stars have got like two stars orbiting each other, uh, and this bind this white dwarf might just have a normal star like our sun in orbit around it. And what it does, because it's so gravitationally powerful, it starts to strip the mass off this other star and so it, you can see the kind of outside layers of the other star being literally stripped off and accreted onto this white dwarf hmm. now as this white dwarf gets heavier and heavier at some point it gets so heavy and dense that as you know space-time itself just simply cannot sustain it anymore and it collapses into a black hole hmm. right and at that point it becomes so bright that it outshines the other billion or so stars in its galaxy. You're right. It's as bright as all of the other stars combined in its galaxy. And you can see them 
from Earth. You can see these events from Earth. And its light can't escape, therefore. It, it, well, no, this light does escape. As it collapses, that light escapes. Oh, that light escapes. As, it, as, it, as it's collapsing into a black hole, the outer shells come but not off. not on the event horizon. No, no. I've, yeah, it, so, that, so the light that's on the... Yeah, it's funny you should say that because, yeah, you, absolutely, if it was a black hole, then it wouldn't... You're right, you wouldn't be able to see it mm. across the vast expanses of space. But this just... But but because we understand these supernovas so well, not we obviously you and me have no idea well, what the hell is going on. But so these idea. very very clever scientists, yeah. they know exactly what's happening. So it's really really bright, but you know exactly how bright they are. Now, one thing that's really really hard to do is tell the distance of something away from you because some things are so far away you can't even use their you can't even use the parallax kind of way of measuring it because mm. that's normally how your eyes work you can work out how far something is if you shut one eye and left eye they, they move slightly and yeah and your brain is working out how far they are using that parallax mm. and you can kind of do the same thing on earth you can measure a star when you're in one part of the orbit and then measure it in another part of the orbit and you can measure the distance to nearby stars but you cannot measure the distance to galaxies they're so far away that the parallax is is, is negligible yes right but huygens and people like this were measuring star distances by their brightness hmm. uh, and you can do the same thing with these type 1a supernovas they're so specific and so understood hmm. you know exactly how bright they are therefore using their faintness you can roughly tell, and my, when I say roughly, it's actually a very good measure about how far they are away. So these things are used as standard candles about how far something is away. Now, this was being done in the 90s, and people were measuring the distances to these distant galaxies and working out how far they were away and trying to measure whether the universe was going to just carry on expanding or come down into a big crunch, right? Mm. And they were thinking, you know, most people were just thinking this is the tennis ball situation. You know, it's, it's like, have they? Is it expanding fast enough that it it's got some kind of escape velocity, sort of, or is it, or is it not expanding fast enough? The end, the, the sort of matter density is enough that it will come back down in a big crunch. Mm. They weren't really thinking of anything else, and they started taking these measurements. And two completely independent teams in the 1998 basically came back and went, oh, hang on a second. <laughs> Not only is it expanding, but when we measure these distant galaxies, they're expanding, it's, it's expanding at a higher rate. Mm. So, oh, you know, it's, it's actually not just expanding, but the expansion is, is, is exponential. It's actually getting faster and faster and faster, which is the, which wasn't really expected, right? Right. As in this was like, whoa, this is a bit of a surprise. This is not how people had kind of simplistically thought about space. But the funny thing is, as Roger Penrose always likes to point out, it's there. It's there in 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 Einstein's general relativity mm -hmm. is the cosmological constant. It actually it didn't say whether it had what value it had to be, but it just so happens that it's a value or could be that the, it's the cosmological constant has a value that means that space is ex, is expanding faster and faster, right? Mm. And so it shouldn't have been that much of a surprise, but it was a massive surprise because it it flies against our intuition about the the universe. Mm. And of course, that that does have some profound kind of um, well, it's profound because because it, it it, it uh, sort of talks about what where we're going to end up. And I guess in a similar vein to dark matter, we know that it's everywhere in our <laughs> universe, like everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah, but, but yeah, but this is the really thing about this is the weird thing about dark, dark energy. And I've heard Roger Penrose again talking about this this idea that it's actually a bit of a weird name because obviously one of the other things that Einstein kind of made us realize through E equals mc squared that energy and matter are really the same thing. Right, you know that they are equivalents. You know, if I still find it mind blowing that if you've got a very big spring, and you and you push it down into its into a, like a as, as small as it will get, it actually weighs more 
because it's because it's got more energy contained within mm. it, and it will actually you could you can actually physically weigh yeah. <laughs> that it's got. But so energy and mass are really the same thing. So, but we know that mass behaves in a certain way. That mass likes to attract other mass. Well, this is the opposite for dark energy. Dark mm. energy tends to repel things. Yes. So it's not. Is it? Is it really an energy? No, it's not really, but it's a very nice placeholder for the time being because there are quite a few people that don't believe that dark energy is a constant. So this 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 link with the cosmological constant isn't necessarily a slam dunk, by the way. Hmm. So some some scientists think that maybe there's more going on than just this whole idea of a cosmological constant and that and then that's the end of the story that that yeah it just so happens that space expands yeah exactly um, but it might be it sort of might be more complicated than that because there's some pesky things that we still don't understand that first microsecond of the big bang which a lot of people are putting down to inflation this idea of cosmic inflation yeah but that's you know it's not entirely satisfactory that because there's very little evidence for it and it's quite hard to know what the underlying kind of physical reason of that is. The only thing it answers is why the universe is so smooth. Right. Which, which actually is quite, a, it's, it's quite an interesting thing. I, I heard Roger Penrose, uh, not Roger Penrose, uh, Martin Rees, the royal astronomer, talking about this and sort of saying how if you wanted to understand this, this why the... the that we can only talk about cosmology because space is smooth. Do you mean and, like listening to Lionel Richie and yeah, wearing velour trousers? <laughs> yeah, you can only listen to Lionel Richie because it is so smooth. I don't know if there's a smooth FM, but I assume that there is. Oh, I'm pretty certain there is, yeah. And I reckon it's all that. It's Lionel, isn't it? But, but yeah. you know, the smooth Lionel, not the party Lionel. No, smooth Lionel. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. But imagine you're out at sea. This is this is the this is the Martin Rees analogy. Imagine you're out at sea, and you look out in different directions, and you can see lots of different types of waves, but you can kind of get an average of those waves and, and work out the phenomena of the waves around you. Mm. And so that's a little bit like cosmology. We look out into space, and we can kind of get the average of things because there's the average density of matter, the average density of galaxies, the mm. average. Co you know, at the average incidence of black holes and supernova and things like that. And it all looks the same in all directions, including, most importantly, the background heat yes. or left over from the Big Bang, this just over three degrees Kelvin, CMB. the cosmic microwave background, looks roughly the same temperature in any direction you look, which must mean that the universe was incredibly uniform at the beginning, right? Now... If you were standing in in an, in a mountain range like by Everest, you would just have Everest right in front of you, right? Hmm. And therefore, you can only take one measurement. So the whole idea of averaging things out doesn't exist. Hmm. So if you were in a in a universe that was like that, where we were next to a, a peak or a, something unusual, the whole thing would be a completely different story. You wouldn't mm. be able to tell the same story as you can tell with cosmology now right. through this kind of idea that everything is uniform around you, homogenous around you, mm. which is which is pretty crazy. And and it all comes down to the fact that you know that the universe started off in this very unique state, like the second law of entropy, where where the universe is must have been super ordered at the beginning. And that kind of leads to this homogenous nature. But why was it so special at the beginning? Why is entropy getting bigger? Why is stuff getting random? And therefore, if you more and more random, you understand that stuff gets more and more random. When you drop a glass on the floor, it smashes, but it's unlikely to, to suddenly pick up all the pieces and make itself back into a glass. Very unlikely. So you know that as, as time moves forward, everything is getting more and more random even though sometimes it feels like it isn't because like a baby is born and obviously that's quite unique and it feels like a like it's it's complicated but the actual overall entropy to make that baby has made the universe more and more random hmm. right so everything's getting more and more random so if you if you wind the clock back it must have been incredibly unrandom right at the beginning 
Can we talk after the podcast about how babies are made? Yes. Because I'm still, <laughs> still not sure. <laughs> I have actually, I've, I've just, ri- I've literally just been spending some time with uh, J- J- Jamie's, Jamie's <laughs> young, young child. So young he's Jamie. obviously accidentally stumbled we upon should, the formula. Yeah, I think maybe a couple more years and he can, he can come on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. Absolutely. He already knows more than me about well, dark I, energy. Well, I'm already having some of the one, some of the babies I've made on the podcast, <laughs> yeah, haven't I? So, exactly. So that's, 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 yeah, that's yeah. okay. So dark, this, a lot of people have been trying to use dark energy to explain some of these like weird things. What, what was, you know, things like inflation and stuff like that. And so maybe sort of suggesting that there's, that it's part of something bigger. Now, one of these things other than the cosmological con, uh, uh, constant is, is this thing called quintessence. Oh, yes. And I love this name quintessence because it, it, uh, you know, the sort of four forces of nature, fire, water, and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, air and all that. Quintessence is like this old term that kind of means the fifth kind of thing, the fifth, like fifth the sixth sense. Yeah, <laughs> like the sixth sense. But it's like the fifth, four, the fifth element, I suppose, like, I you know. I see dead stars. Like Mila Jovovich was, of course, the quintessence mm. of the film, the fifth element, I suppose. But um, Great film. Oh, God, is it so good. I do love that film. Um, yeah, so this this idea of quintessence is that that dark energy is a scalar, um, a scalar. What what are we going to call it here? A scalar field. Scalar field. Yeah. A scalar field, um, uh, which is like the which is like the fields in theoretical physics, like the Higgs boson field. So and things varying like that. energy densities, right, in different regions. Yes. So you could have slightly more expansion or slightly less expansion depending where you were in space or where you were in time, mm. right? So, th- so that, that might then fall into this idea that uh, dark energy played a much more important role right at that first fraction of a millisecond where space expanded incredibly quickly and that that might explain that so that, you know, you could have this this idea that quintessence that that dark energy is affecting our universe in in a slightly different way that the problem with quintessence is whenever you have a a law that's no longer a constant like the like the um cosmological constant is you have to explain why it isn't <laughs> why it isn't constant right, right? right. so it, it comes with problems but there's quite a few other explanations for dark energy as well, well i like the next one man what about extra dimensions i think this is we know this is one of your favorites you i do, mean you yeah. do like you do like a multiverse don't you i like the far out ones but without it being so far out that it becomes just ridiculous mm. but i mean you know this is this is pretty good isn't it, man? yeah yeah so this is what well, the problem with this i think it's been a very dominant um a dominant force in modern physics mm. for the last you know 30 years or so is this idea of string theory that tries to get around this idea of that basically one of the big problems is that although general relativity works unbelievably well at massive scales mm. and quantum mechanics works really really well at tiny scales the two aren't just aren't compatible that we know that something is wrong right right and and string theory was a, a sort of an attempt to kind of combine the two things that I mean, if you think about it, the universe at one point was so small, it's more governed by quantum physics, mm. i.e. the physics of the very small, than it is the cosmological physics of general Absolutely. relativity, right? So uh, uh, string theory is a kind of way of trying to get around that. But one of the ways that string theory works to combine it is the, the fact that it says, oh, you know, there isn't just the three dimensions or the four dimensions that we see. It's actually ten or eleven or twelve, depending on the the flavor of the theory that you happen to be subscribing mm, to. Mm. So there's all these hidden dimensions. Well, and the idea that gravity can leak into some of these it, extra yeah. dimensions, or, or that maybe yeah, some of these dimensions are actually causing the the, the, the dark, dark energy. energy yeah, okay. uh, and down to things like these the brains. So it could be that our universe is 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 like a membrane. And that there's other universes on membranes that are nearby and, and kind of affecting us. And there's 
no evidence for this whatsoever. This is the problem with string theory where a lot of people have a big objection to it. It's very, very hard to test mm. and there's very, very little evidence. The maths works incredibly well and, and the maths actually is really interesting and there's breakthroughs in maths because of string theory, but it hasn't, it hasn't yielded the results that perhaps people thought it might. Um, so it's a little bit of a ouch. Now, we mentioned this last last uh, podcast, Modified Gravity. We did mention Modified Gravity. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, Modified Gravity, MOND, Modified Newtonian Dynamics, mm-hmm. could actually explain dark matter and dark energy in one fail swoop. Uh, the problem being is that there's some things that it doesn't explain. Like the bullet cluster is the one that... that uh, modified gravity doesn't um like um but we'll get onto that in a little bit matt what about vacuum energy mm. well vacuum energy this is we we know that when you know we know that like you look at a table and it looks like a table mm-hmm. but you know that when you look deeper into it it's actually made up of these highly complicated particles with you know quarks and and electrons spinning around protons and neutrons and the way that they're all entangled is highly complicated. But when you sort of zoom out, it looks fairly standard and normal, right, Mm -hmm. a table. But you know it's at a granular level, it's incredibly complicated. Now, if you expand that kind of thought to like what space is, you kind of think that space is just philosophically empty, that it's just nothing there. Mm. But actually the reality is that when you look at space on a granular level, it has a complicated inner structure, mm. right? And so that complicated inner structure might itself have, well, we know it's complicated. We know that we have these virtual particles like coming in and out of existence and borrowing energy from the, you know, from the, from the vacuum. And so we know that there is this kind of quantum foam or well, that's what they think. So it could be, yes, that there's this quantum field theory that the vacuum isn't, isn't, isn't empty and it's actually applying. There is a pressure there that would expand the universe. However, I think the quantum, this quantum field, when they measure it, is nowhere near powerful enough to to actually be um, dark energy. Right. Okay. But okay. but there's something there. There is something there that I think is you know that people obviously know that there's a there's a connection there at least. Um, uh, it's it's the cosmological constant problem. So that observed value of dark energy and the theoretical value of vacuum energy mm. are just not. They're not even close. They're many orders of magnitude way out. off. So it's way off. So which is disappointing. And imagine when someone sat down to do that calculation, and go, I think I've got it, and they sort of went through and went, oh, damn, it's absolutely nowhere near that being sick, right. There might be interacting dark energy as well, so it might be that, that that dark energy interacts with other components of the universe, and therefore it might be different in different places as well. So, yeah, that's it's 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 pretty complicated. Now, you know, I was involved with the uh, with the with the launch of the Euclid mission. Oh yeah, here we go again. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the Euclid missions sort of things that it's trying to do is measure that is measure the overall structure of the universe because. Mm-hmm. This is the thing that, that really we don't really know that much about space other than the, what we observe, as in the theoretical scientists can, can go crazy. They can just go mental and make stuff up. Mm. But really all the progress, as we heard with the Type 1A supernovas, you know, there's the whole scientific community running an experiment because they think that the universe is going to be collapsing. And then they have this observation that turns the whole thing on its head, right? right? So the idea is what you want to do is just keep making observations that are more and more accurate. Hmm. And so I was thinking this, why why don't the engineers of things like the Euclid program and the James Webb Space Telescope, how come they don't get Nobel Prizes? Because if anything is driving this kind of modern... um, the fact that, you know, cosmology and, and astronomy and everything else is we're living in the golden age is, is really down to the engineers, isn't mm. it? It's down to these like unbelievable bits of machinery that are getting built that are doing. Yeah. Well, without that, what have we got really? Nothing. No we, we, yeah. You know, it's like if you gave Galileo 
the information that comes from the engineers. Even, you know, obviously the, the one thing that the engineers do is talk to the scientists about what they want. So the scientists have to know what they want and what mm. they want to measure, um, which is a really interesting interaction, I think. I think it's, you know, over the, you know, over the decades, Euclid has been built by this interaction between what's possible and the engineers going yeah. back to them and saying, I always think it's a bit like a gig, being a production manager for a gig. You know, it's like the artist comes up to you and says, I want a waterfall. And then as a production manager, you have to go, uh, it might not be possible, but we can give you... Got Evian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can splash some water on your legs. Yeah. We can put a stage fan at the front. <laughs> <laughs> right, that kind of thing. So I think, you know, it's uh, it's obviously an interaction between the two, but, I, you know, the engineers deserve some credit here oh, because the whole idea of Euclid is, is it's to map the universe in unprecedented detail, mm. like so much information so that you can kind of start to get a, sh- a feel of the shape of the universe so that some of these things can be tested. Some of these theories can actually be tested in terms of what what might be right and what might be wrong. Are we seeing discrepancies in the in in dark energy over like the the expanse of space? Is it different in different parts? Is it is it is there a point where dark energy takes over? you know, and, and where is that point? And, and so you can kind of start to put constraints on what, on what it could be and what it can't be is really, really interesting. Well, Matt, I'd like to talk about discrepancies because we need to talk about the flat universe, don't we? Yeah, well, well, well this is it. So, so you, the, the geometry of the universe, whether it's Euclidean or non-Euclidean, is mm. actually quite interesting. It, it's really finely poised, mm. right? So you've got this idea that the universe is flat, and what what exactly does that mean? Well, you know this. You know, I was trying to get my head around this myself. Where you know when you when you see general relativity described by someone sticking a cannonball on a rubber sheet. Yes, you've seen that experiment, uh-huh. haven't you? Yeah. And and the whole of that rubber sheet gets bent by the cannonball, and you can see like how that makes things it go into orbit. Yes, yeah. yeah. So so. Locally, space is extremely curved at that point. But imagine if that trampoline that, that the cannonball was on went on forever. It, was, it wasn't the size of the school hall. Mm. It was the size of Germany or something like that, mm. you know, or, or it's the size of the Earth. Or, or, no, actually, yeah. the Earth's a bit disperceiving because then it would be curved. Yeah. <laughs> see, that, see, actually, that's kind of the point is that it's a bit like a bed sheet. If you stick like some marbles on the bed sheet, the, the bed itself is still flat, even though you have these areas that, that are curved. Mm. And the idea is, is the universe actually flat? Because if it's flat, it means that this, this does go on forever. It goes, it's infinite. It, it, you know, obviously it doesn't have an edge. And, it, and this expansion is going on forever in all directions everywhere, right? Mm. Now, if, it's slight, if the curvature is slightly negative, it means that it would it will curve in on itself and therefore it won't or slightly positive it will be like a saddle back and, and again it will meet itself and therefore it won't be infinite mm. so it will be a finite universe and that does have a lot of bearing about how dark energy should be interacting but then what's outside of it matt I know well, this is always the question. <laughs> it's always the question. That's for another and, podcast. And it, it, it is, but it's a bit like the Big Bang. Is the mm. fact that you know I said that the that the universe was the size of an atom. It's in some ways I'm not sure that that's correct because the Big Bang happened everywhere, all at once. Mm. So it's not there isn't a center that you're looking at with the Big Bang. Everywhere is expanding all at once. So it's all expanding at the same time. So. The Big Bang is happening everywhere, all at once, everywhere. Mm. It, it, may, it may be infinitely in all directions, mm. uh, which is just which is mind blowing. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it it does kind of put you in a kind of makes what, me feel what happy. What the hell's going on here? Now, w- there was an episode where I talked about uh, the cosmic web and this thing called baric, baryonic acoustic oscillations. So that is one way of measuring the rate of expansion at the early universe and that's mm. this idea that when when the universe was f- first starting it was just this very very hot place where atoms couldn't form but the moment it cooled down just sufficiently so hydrogen could form 
suddenly light was able to travel through the universe. So you went from this opaque universe to this transparent universe. And that is what you see with the with the cosmic microwave background is this map, basically, of, the, of essentially that moment when that happened. But what's incredible about that is during that phase of this ultra-hot gas, there was these uh, uh, vibrations, like acoustic oscillations happening within that gas that created these bubbles. And at the moment of this reionization, they were frozen in the night sky and the, the density of galaxies and the cosmic web is related to the size of these bubbles at the time. And you measure these bubbles and it gives you a very, very accurate indication about what the expansion was like at the time. Mm. And it's slightly different. They, they get different values than they do for the measuring the type 1A supernovas, right? Which is why this, this idea of, of the dark energy just being the cosmological constant isn't necessarily the most satisfying answer. Hmm. So people aren't, you know, aren't sold on that idea at all, that it is the cosmological constant, purely because of this, this, this horrible friction between the different evidences of dark energy and the fact that this number, the cosmological constant, keeps coming up a different number depending on how you measure it and what your kind of thoughts of how we've done. And we've talked about this before. That the, It's one of the big problems of cosmology is this being able to nail the expansion rate, essentially. Mm, it's an issue. It, it, it seems to be different in different places. But it might be down to the fact that it isn't a cosmological constant. It is quintessence or another thing. Well, altogether. What, well, what about measuring dark energy? I guess well, that's the, the the measuring dark energy is you know is is that whole idea of how big is this expansion? You know, and and they've got some idea of it because it it makes up you know pretty much eighty percent of the matter in the universe mm. or the energy in the universe, depending on how you want to see it. But you know, if the universe is expanding in that way then the, the density of the universe must be the fact that the 80% of it is this dark energy. And, and so, yeah, that, that, that's kind of how you're measuring it is by how, <laughs> how quickly stuff is expanding. Now, now there are... Do you, know, do you know of any other ways of well, uh, measuring? It, any strange ways? Do you know what? There was a really strange way that, that someone mentioned in the chat in like a couple of days ago mm. in the Discord and that they stuck in this new novel way of measuring dark energy. Those boffins down at the University of Cambridge. It, indeed. Well, they it, it is. So Dr. David Benistri. Oh, legend. Big yeah, Dave. So, yeah. So you would have thought he would have been a chemist with a name. Like that. <laughs> uh, but uh, so he he basically has realised that Andromeda is is not moving away from us. So it's not caught up in this. He's not. It's caught up in a place where gravity is actually stronger than dark energy mm. but he's saying that actually if you analyze the way that andromeda and the milky way are approaching each other uh then you can be then you should be able to look at an upper limit for the cosmological constant right and so that that actually is a way of kind of measuring dark energy that no one's really thought of before so this is kind of like a new technique that without sort of like looking further into the universe, we're actually looking sort of nearer by and getting better accurate measurements of how much mass you think there is and how they should be behaving, mm. but how they're not behaving because there is some dark energy there. Even though gravity is, I guess, the dominant force, mm. dark energy is still there. It's still kind of affecting it. So gravity is the alpha male. Locally, yeah, but not a go not in vast. When it distances. goes outside of hassocks, yeah. When it goes outside of hassocks, it's it's it's, it's nice. No it's, one. Yeah, yeah. General relativity has worked on vast distances and with things like black holes and you know all these different things that we predicted and then they turn out to be true. General relativity just keeps coming up trumps, hmm. but that doesn't mean that when you look at a vast distance that it's going to keep working. And that's that's the one test that it hasn't really had, is this idea of measuring what gravity is like over vast distances. 
the, the between you know not just between galaxies that's not big enough but but between but between galaxy clusters mm. where they seem to be moving apart and maybe gravity isn't working like general relativity says it is so that so that's the kind of thinking behind that as well is that maybe actually you don't even need to do these vast measurements maybe there's something to be done with the in within the local measurement system as well which, well, Matt, which is interesting you mentioned black holes a minute ago mm-hmm. what about if i said to you that black holes are dark energy yeah this is this and i've is, got an army of people behind me who agree <laughs> yeah this is this is actually brilliant because i've got there is a little bit of a sneaky feeling here mm. that there's going to be a whole bunch of things that suddenly come together and everyone go oh hang on a second this is what's happening and it's all going to suddenly make, make sense. sense all these bits of the jigsaw are all suddenly going to come into 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 play and this might be one of them because I was looking, because we the one thing we didn't mention was dark matter stars. Mm. So dark matter might be able to form stars if it's dense enough. See, one of the reasons why dark matter doesn't form stars is because it doesn't really interact with itself. So as it's whizzing past itself, it doesn't pick up any friction. But if it's dense enough, it might, it might weakly interact with itself because it's a wimp perhaps yeah and and it uh, weakly interact with itself and therefore it sh- it might be able to slow down enough that it that it can sort of start to collapse down into a star mm. so the early universe might have been full of these dark matter stars that would have been incredibly dense and they may have collapsed into black holes mm. which might be why we see these massive black holes at the centers of galaxies that are, shouldn't have formed at that at that early on in the universe for example i'm kind of making stuff up here but what what i'm trying to say is there's there's a whole Again. bunch of yeah there's a whole bunch of things that are happening right now where it might be that 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 one crazy theory will interlink with another crazy theory and suddenly be like well these two things together work really really well oh my god we we we're onto something here hmm. Now this is so the dark the black holes as dark energy is really interesting because this idea is one of the things that's that's ridiculous about black holes is the singularity itself in the center of a black hole. It doesn't mm. make any sense. It basically all physics breaks down. You can't have something that's infinitely dense in the in the center, right? It just anything whenever you see infinities, you know something must be wrong mm. because it's not really a thing an infinity it's 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 part of the maths and and it's important in maths but is infinity part of the real thing even though i just mentioned that universe might be infinite i feel you but 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 like maybe infinite density doesn't really exist so maybe what happens with black holes is as they collapse and and the matter gets denser and denser and denser perhaps it transmutes into this new stuff not matter that attracts matter, but matter that repels matter, mm. this dark energy. Maybe it transmutes into dark energy. And so the, the core of these black holes starts to become these what's known as generic objects of dark energy. So the black hole itself, it's because people have suggested that you could have dark energy stars as well as dark matter stars. Uh, and they're called geodes, right? So maybe the that you could have a black hole that is a geode and here's the here's the tricky bit right the idea is as space expands so do the black holes the black holes are expanding at the same rate and so their density within the universe remains the same and therefore as as the universe expands and and the black holes are expanding their the dark energy that they're pumping into the universe remains at the same rate so it remains constant because they're expanding the the dark energy and the and the and the black hole itself is expanding at the same rate mm. so it's kind of that now that the, the what what makes this a bit fishy is that the people that wrote this paper about black holes are dark energy were sort of saying there's they're 99.8% certain or something ridiculous that black holes are expanding with the universe and they've got the evidence for it and it's like the evidence just doesn't suggest that or 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 to to claim something like that in a paper is i would consider like a little bit over the top and mm. kind of just seems like 
you're basically saying to other scientists, don't take me seriously. Right. <laughs> I don't really understand what they were thinking because that just seems to be too bold a claim that didn't need to be made. So that's a sort of slash against them. However, the idea that you could have that the, the black holes might work like this is okay and that maybe they... I mean, there's no evidence that, that the energy transmutes into dark energy, that the mm-hmm. matter transmutes into dark energy. There's no evidence for that, but it's a nice idea that that is plausible and doesn't have any kind of reason why it might not be true. But also they have this idea that it must link to the whole universe, that that that, that instead of just acting locally, because black holes tend to just act locally, general relativity mm. acts locally, it has to know what's exactly what's next to it to act on it. But whereas this is saying, no, that it's actually affecting the whole universe, mm. that it's kind of connected to the whole universe. So, so it's, it's, it, there's a, it's got to be coupled with the universe. Now, that's also another big jump of, of imagination. So Obi-Wan no Kenobi was right. It was binding the galaxy together. And he said was exactly that. Yeah, yeah. it was this force. Yeah. It was this force, this, this repellent force. Yeah. Good old Alec Guinness. The dark force. Oh my god! Oh god! <laughs> uh, so yeah, so it, it's um, yeah, it's it's this constant energy density caused by black holes that happen to be dark energy, and maybe black holes themselves are the source of dark energy. I mean, it's 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 really interesting as a as a as a theory. Um. And there are some sneaky bits of like evidence that may go, you may go, whoa, this is looking promising because it predicts that black holes are bigger than they should be. Mm-hmm. And observation is also showing that they're bigger than they thought. That the reason why LIGO keeps seeing black holes that are bigger than expected is because of this phenomena. Right. And so it's like, whoa, actually, this is. There's some there's some bits of it where where you might go oh yeah that that is looking pretty good that's looking very good in in fact so yeah that we we kind of covered quite a few things we have there there's a, there's just one more that we didn't talk about and that's phantom energy oh now we're talking yeah it's basically yeah this 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 energy that that's that's there I haven't really dug too much into phantom energy but. It's it's it might be that there's that the cosmological constant or, or the the equation of state is less than minus one. In other words, you have this negative energy that's being pumped into the universe. Right. But yeah, I don't, I must admit I don't fully understand that one, so I'm I'm, I'm just not going to talk about it. No, it's fine. We'll skip over it. <laughs> um. So yeah, it, it, it's really interesting, and and you might go, well, who cares? Do you, do you go? Who I cares? care. You, <laughs> I care. I think I care. What philosophically does it mean, though, Jamie? Why, why should people care? Well, I just believe in the Stoic sense that we should just walk around the thorny bush and not go through it, Matt. So basically, it's, it doesn't matter if you care or you don't. We're all going to die, and we'll become part of that dark <laughs> energy. It's going to expand out. Mm-hmm. Go to a black hole. Spaghetti head. Job done. Mm. I, I was hoping more for for, for for some more deeper philosophical uh, insights there. Well, if I'm honest, I got a bit distracted early on in the podcast because you mentioned, I believe, a binary pair, mm-hmm. which I believe I ate when I went to a posh <laughs> restaurant in Denmark called Amass. And I think I had it with popping candy. It was delicious. <laughs> You're a fan of the pear, Matt? I do. Do you know what? Pear as a pudding is very nice. Really underrated. It is it? underrated as a Divides pudding. Divides a lot of people. The pair is the just, com- like, the just like dark pair. energy. <laughs> yeah, the conference pair. They should have conferences about it. Well, that's so. why I think a lot of people don't like it, because they don't like conferences. It sounds very sort of tedious and It boring, does, doesn't it? it? Yeah, well, yeah, why very they, corporate. Yeah, why on earth did they call a pair but a don't, conference? don't blame, don't slag the pair off. I believe that there is a pair called a stinky bishop. Are you sure that's not a cheese? Yeah. Oh. The stinky bishop cheese. Yeah uses the stinky bishop pair in part of the process. That, that's why it is called the stinky bishop. I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have you ever had the cheese with the pair? I have. I've had, I've, no, I haven't had it with the pair. I have had the cheese, though. I bought it. Is it from, nice? 
a shop called A Gold opposite Spitalfield Market. We're hoping to get some free cheese on the podcast. Yeah, so if uh, the makers of <laughs> When I Bishop buy cheese. cheese, I like to go for it. Yeah, and it is very nice. Oh, God, there you go. Nice. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. Uh, Matt, what's my, your take? Let's get your take my, my, I think, well, it, 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 it chucks up quite a few things. It mm. chucks up the whole nature of reality. You know, we should care about the nature of reality, shouldn't we? You know, we it's like... Yeah. Um, if there is a mysterious force that we know nothing about, what what is our place in the universe? It, it, as in, we bear we're so insignificant. We're mm. so insignificant. Oh, do you know what? Even though Russell Brand's gone a little bit mental, well, not when I say a little bit mental, he's gone complete. It's kind of gone off the rails a little bit. Right. He came out with a very interesting quote the other day that I quite I really liked. I just I just caught I just caught a little bit of a chat he was having. Yeah. And he said this thing about. You know, he, he's seeing the world and everything that he understands about the universe and everything is through his eyes, his kind of selfish desires and everything else. And, and that's how he tries to make sense of the universe. Right. Yet on a sort of cosmic scale, he's borderline insignificant. That even though he's like the center of his universe and the whole thing is, that's how he's trying to understand it. Yeah. Ultimately his kind of matter is virtually is virtually nothing. It's virtually nothing mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of the Absolutely, universe. Yeah. And and so therefore he's borderline irrelevant. Yet it's yet that's, you know, it's through his consciousness that is the only way he's able to kind of make any sense of the world. And I thought I thought very interesting point. Yes, he is a smart man sometimes. Sometimes. He's, he's very like me you know, sometimes. He's very clever. Um yeah so Cosmic loneliness is another one, though, Jamie. This yeah, whole idea of the expanding universe. One of the one of the most frightening aspects of it, I think, is the fact that you've got this this idea that the universe. We we live in a really special time where we can look out and see the ocean of galaxies mm. out there. But if we're a few billion years in the future, it might be that everything has receded further than we can see it. In other words, it's the light can't get back to us because it would have to travel faster than the speed of light to get to us. And so all those ga- all those galaxies will have disappeared. And so you look out into space and you can just see the local galaxies and that's what you think the universe is. And it's, then it will become very lonely. Bye-bye, M83. I miss you. Yeah, exactly. All of that is just zipped out of the... Not the cool French electro band. Or the motorway near... Who are playing in Pop Festival in Belgium this weekend. And they're called M83. Yeah, they are. Uh, Shout out to M83. It's a beautiful... Big big Roland Juice. It's a beautiful galaxy. Oh, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Messier Object 83. Well, Matt, um, before we wrap this up Mm -hmm. and go and eat our dinner... would before we say goodbye to the Spodcats, would you like would you like to join me mm-hmm. in um, singing Dark Energy, but <laughs> at different um, octaves? So I'll start. Okay. Dark Energy. Dark Energy. Dark Energy. Dark Energy. Bye bye Spodcats. Bye everyone.